Every single day, people take unwanted or unused items to thrift and antique stores across the country. But as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and we're here to prove it. Identify valuable things before you throw them away. Join us as we show and tell of treasures found and sold by a full-time reseller with the hopes of helping you find some treasures of your own. Welcome to the What's Sold podcast. Welcome back to the What's Sold podcast where my friend Matt Brock talks about items that he sold in the last week. What sold and how it sold and the interesting things about that. So we'll be bringing a new product every week. Product, I don't know if we can use the word product, but something that each week we're going to talk about that maybe those of you that are listening can go and go, oh, I have some of those in my attic. Maybe I could sell them. And you could always obviously reach out to Matt and he'd probably be happy to sell them for you. But the idea is not to sell things or make money from that, but to really just educate people on this whole process. So welcome back, Matt. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, thank you. Yeah, very happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I mean, I sold some stuff this week, so <laughs> Rusty, we should probably talk about Rusty it. Rusty <laughs> selling stuff out there. Well, I could get, hey, it's Rusty. I, I got this, uh, I got a bunch of paper ephemera uh, this week, and we're going to discuss that stuff. But actually, what we'll start with today is a vase. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. And I'm going to pull this up. Uh, we'll have- Your very fancy pinkies out vase. I like it. My vase. Hold on. So by the way, we will be, we will be at some point posting the video so you can actually look at the element, but we're going to take yes. a picture of these. We will be listing these in the show notes. So if you want to look at the items that are going to be, that Matt has sold, you could take a look at the picture that's online if you want a visual picture of it, but Matt's going to describe it now. I recommend you do that, but I'm going to do my best to describe this, give you sort of a mental picture. This vase, vase, it's quite large. It's something like 26 inches tall, which is maybe the tallest one I've come across in person before. It's about 10 inches wide at the base as well. And it is a bright orange color. Yeah. Um, it's ribbed. And the top of it has this very interesting pattern where it looks like it has almost like little arms coming up. And that's uh, important because... It's called a swung vase, S-W-U-N-G. These are hand-blown glass vases, Oh, and they call them... Sw- wait, wait, wait. You mean some person... Yes. Not, this wasn't in a factory. Somebody literally just Correct. made this. Oh, that's cool. You got it. Awesome. Yep. And so the reason they're called swung vases, as I'm told, is that when they have it connected to the pontal where they're blowing it, they would shake it with their hand a little bit. And by doing that, it causes the end of it to kind of flay out in various patterns. And these apparently are quite uh, collectible and some very valuable. Yeah, and it's very unique looking. It's like a, it almost looks like an alien plant of some sort. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a creamish yellow towards the bottom, and then it gets a bright orange. They come in various colors. There are different makers. There's one maker called L.E. Smith that I believe this one was made by that manufacturer, oh. that person. I don't know if it's a person, but that's that's the brand. I've never come across one of these this large in person before. I was in, at an antique store this week doing what I do, looking for deals, looking for treasures. Well, wait, how do you know that? How do you know? How did you find out who the manufacturer was? Does it have the name on there somewhere? It does not, but... Oh. Quick Google searches. If you photograph things, you can use a couple of different ways. Uh, one way is called Google Lens, where you essentially input a photograph into Google, and it spits out 
other things that look like that according to what it's searching for. And it's not 100% uh, accurate, but you get an idea. At least it aids in your search. Sure. So these are common enough that they popped up. You can also do the same thing in eBay. You can put in uh, a photo and it will look at active listings and try to find something for you. So I didn't just, I, w I didn't just pass by it because I had had some experience with these mm. before. And I've also spoken with collectors who have talked about that they buy them and want them. So when I saw it, I immediately knew what it was. So the first thing you do is you check the price, right? Mm -hmm. Check the price. Okay. Check it. Make sure there's no cracks or dings or major damage. They had it listed for $50. And I know by seeing these for sale in the past that they can sell for hundreds of dollars. Oh, so I did a quick search. I found that it was, you know, on eBay, had sold for 200 to $250. So I thought $50, you know, I don't like to spend that much usually on a single item, but if I'm going to be able to double or triple my money on uh, a higher purchase, then this makes sense. A lot of them have sold. So there's enough of a, a market out there for them. So I get up to check out and surprise that dealer has a 50% off thing going in their booth that week. Oh, so it only cost me $25. Nice. Why wouldn't this dealer who had a booth, why wouldn't they be selling it on the open market to make more money? Oh, man, that that's the million-dollar question, right? It could be a number of things. It could be that they don't know what it is. It could mm. be they don't care. It could be that they did the discount and forgot that they put the L.E. Smith song vase in there. <laughs> Didn't mean to sell it for that low. So I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a detective work on every time you go into one of these places to sort of, you know, the knowledge you've already had. So, you know, maybe do some mm -hmm. research knowledge, but then also just sort of being savvy enough to find the deals. I mean, that's really what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I didn't know I would, I was already going to buy it at $50. 25 is great. And the, and the fact that I can get it that low adds another awesome variable for me, which is I now can afford to list that item for below the average of what they're selling for. So my technique and how I price things really depends on multiple factors. What I paid for it, how quickly they typically sell for, if I need the money back within a certain amount of time. But as a general rule, if I want to sell something fast and get the money in, I need to price it and beat my competitors, right? It's this is basic uh, yeah. buying and this is bit, you know this is the way competition works in the retail world. So I could the last one sold for two hundred dollars. So I list it for 190. I get an offer for 175 two days later, and I take it. So I turn $25 into $175. But that's not the end of the story. Oh. Now I've got a pack. But I've got wait, a package more. This. No, the downside is I got to package this thing, oh, right? Yeah. I got to I got to find a box that's the right size because I don't sell things this large or this fragile hardly ever because. They're large and they're fragile. It's, right. it's expensive to ship. You have to have the right packing materials. You have to trust that UPS is not going to throw it off of a building before they deliver it to somebody. Uh, you know, all of those things because then it's ruined. So I don't love that part of it, but but making 150 bucks, that's what it's about. Well, if it costs you $50 to ship it, you paid 25 it costs you $50 to ship, you still made 100 bucks. Yeah, but I usually... I like in this case they paid I don't know what it was thirty dollars something like that for the sh for the shipping, which means I can insure it. You know I can ship it and insure it typically oh, man. for that. So yeah, so there's a process was behind nice. this. I mean, you, you turned a pretty nice ROI uh, on that, so your return on investment was excellent for sure. Yeah, and it 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 varies for every person, and I haven't even figured out. I don't have it like written down in a spreadsheet or anything, but in my mind, it's like if I'm going to pay. 
$3 for a piece of jewelry, I need to sell it for 12 or more. So it, it, but if I'm going to spend a hundred dollars, if I'm going to buy an instrument for $2,000, um, I've got to sell that instrument for a grand or more fast because I don't have the cash flow to be floating two grand for six months because you know how many opportunities come along that I could spend two grand on and, and, and the volume that I could earn. So it really is a numbers game and it has everything to do with what I have at my disposal in the given time. Gosh, that's a, I mean, I could totally see how you could get really caught up in the excitement of it. It's it's kind of a cool oh, process. Yeah. I think that there, it, it is a very cool process, but it is a daily, I mean, it's like a commitment to uh, like a, uh, a significant other. Or a, a, <laughs> like it's a decision you make every day, right? Every day, I mean, I have a wonderful family and a wife. I have the ability to ruin that every day of my life. If mm-hmm. I made certain decisions, I could completely ruin it for myself. And this is sort of the same thing. If I get excited about a thing and I don't think through a choice, I could spend tons of money on things that are not wise, you know, expenses. And I could take my business by doing that. There are times, lots of times now, actually, when I find things I know I can make money on, but I pass it up. I even have the money to do it, but it's a calculated decision. It doesn't make sense for certain reasons. So the number, I mean, that's one reason why people don't, do this for very long if they try to do it full time is they overextend financially. Oh wow. Another reason is they they love the fun part, the finding the things, the buying them, and then they just hoard them at their I mean they they display them, right. they put it out. This is really cool. I know it's and, and they hold on to the most valuable stuff too. Oh, it's just so valuable. It's so nice. I like to have it. And they keep it there. And man, you gotta fight that. You have to fight that if you want to make money because it it has maybe other value outside of monetary value if you have it, but it doesn't ha- it doesn't bring you that money in that you need to pay bills unless you're doing the hard part and listing it and selling it. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So what a, I mean, and I'm sure there are probably many many occasions where you buy something and it doesn't sell for as much as you wanted or you thought. So you know that's as you, you're you're for showing sure. us that the home run ball, but uh, we you know it could <laughs> be different. So in the second half of the show, we've got a second group of items that you're going to show us. Now I yeah I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm going to continue to be honest with you on this show, Matt. Please, I don't, don't know any. Don't, I don't know don't any of this stuff. Here. I have never heard of that vase <laughs> in my the vase that you showed us, but it's yeah. really cool mm. looking. I could honestly it say is. that I would buy that for my wife because she would love it. So it's it's not you kind of well, think about things you buy at these stores as like junky tchotchke stuff, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that gets there that people just don't know. Maybe it's been in the attic or whatever. Oh man! And maybe somebody bought it a long time ago, and then it kind of falls out of favor. There's a certain thing, and I won't bore everybody with this, but there's a certain style of art called chinisserie, which was done in the 1800s, and it was French people's vision of China, although they'd never been to China. <laughs> and it's just really cool, interesting art. I like so for I love that. They're very, uh-huh. very expensive. I don't own any chinisserie. They're like tens okay. of thousands of dollars. But my point is that there's these quirky little things that can happen along the way, and that's sort of what you're as the master seller, mm-hmm. you're trying to find those quirky things. So let's launch segue right into the next item that we're going to talk about this week and explain a little bit of background of what it is and then how you found it yep. and what you did with it. Great. So the category, this is going to be instead of a single item, this is like a grouping of items, would fall into something called paper ephemera. Oh. And paper ephemera, just think of the first word, paper. is <laughs> yeah. usually, so anything that is a paper good, and the stuff I like to buy and sell are usually vintage or antique items. And I've, I've collected a few here. I have been sourcing paper ephemera for a while 
online. It's not, I do come across it in person at places like estate sales, especially where they'll bag up things and usually you can get a lot for a small amount of money, but I can also buy it by the pound. So this last week, I bought somewhere around 100 pounds, maybe a little over 100 pounds of paper ephemera. And, you know, the downside is like maybe 40 or 50% of that just has to go straight in the trash because it's been in someone's barn for 25 years mm-hmm. or it's been in a storage unit for 30 years and it's just crumbling or bugs are eating it or whatever else. Well, what is it? Okay. So it would be things like postcards, things like uh, old banknotes. Okay. Things like deeds or wills or books. You had us on the edge of our seat there, Matt, with, with that fancy oh, college word, ephemera. All right. I know. I know. Ephemera. Well, now you know. I'm going to actually show a few of these. And, and you know, there's a place we'll, we'll have links and things where you can find actual photograph, the photographs of these items that I'm showing. But I'm going to show you a few postcards first. I sell a ton of postcards. The ones I'm going to show you here and talk about first are what are called real photo Postcards. RPPC is the acronym that's used. And this one right here is of a diver in the U.S. Navy around circa World War I, slightly before that. He's got this large metal uh, diving kind of helmet on, a hose connected, and a couple of men helping him off the side of a warship. And I've never found, you can see his face. He's looking right at you. Fascinating, the history. And that's why I love paper ephemera so much is the history of it. You get to see people in a different place. So wait, that's not a, that's not, that's an actual per. I mean, not that a model wouldn't be that a person, actual but that's an actual photograph. photograph, like live action photo of a yep. dude in a diving suit. In 19, it was something like 1902, I believe Kodak came out with a camera called the Model 3A and it allowed people to take photographs that came out to the exact same size as a four by six postcard. Oh, wow. They would send them off and it would be printed on a postcard. So now finally people can actually take photographs of their own life and their own loved ones and family and friends and interesting things around them and send it. That's the, that was their way of communicating through the mail with people who didn't live near them. And so when you come across real, real photo postcards, of uh, items like this, I'm about to show, this might be the only one left in existence. They may not have only made 10 or 12. The one I'm showing right now is actually on a warship as well. And it is a bunch of men dressed up like King Neptune and other, Ah. you know, fictional mythical people from the ocean. I don't know all of the details, but there is a ceremony that takes place used to maybe still does in the U S Navy, where if you were to cross the equator, and or the prime meridian and come back, you would be called a shellback. And they did a ceremony where they would dress up in this really fantastical looking, you know, dress. And they would, I don't know what the ceremony entailed, but essentially it was kind of like honoring them for this thing that they're doing. I could tell you, my dad went through it. He did. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. My dad was a shellback. It was it, when you cross over, come back, at least on the ship that he was on, they, they give you kind of a beating. I mean, it's not like, it's like a, a oh, okay. you know, they like, it's like a, a hazing, of like sorts. a hazing of sorts. Okay. Exactly. I mean, I don't oh, know if goodness. every ship, well, but on that card that you just showed us, there's a bunch of writing at the bottom. What does that say? It says initiation of landlubbers crossing the equator on board the USS Delaware while cruising on his Royal domain bound for Valparaiso, Chile by Neptunus Rex and his trusty shellbacks ruler of the raging main and solemn mysteries of the deep. February 10th, 1911, and it gives the exact latitude and longitude 
of where this photo was taken. Oh, that's amazing. What a cool piece Isn't that history. incredible? Yeah. 100. I, I know. I know. And it's the preservation of these things that uh, I, I like. A lot of what I sell, I sell to collectors. And so I, I have peace of mind that these aren't, you know, they're not buying them to destroy them. But they're buying them either as gifts or they're collectors of this kind of stuff. Maybe maybe someone who's going to buy this who had a family member who who sailed on the USS Delaware. Oh. You know what I mean? Has, a, has an ancestor. Oh, what an or something. Thing. I think so as well. I'm just going to throw a couple more up here and talk about, they don't have as cool of a story as that, but here's one just of a bunch of women in the 1920s uh, standing around drinking bottles of beer. Nice. Which is, I think, uncommon to see that women uh, drinking in a large Wait, group. what year was it? What year was it? It doesn't say. So this one's not posted. It doesn't have any um, But obviously it, the 1920s, the Volstead Act or Prohibition. Sure. And you can tell, you know, I've, I have ones, I've come across ones where it happened during Prohibition, right after and right before. The only way you would know, you would know the general time based on the way that they're dressing. Right. But uh, sometimes the cancellation that goes over the stamp will have the date of the year, typically, and also maybe the, the specific day. My guess is that's sometime in the teens, based okay. on their dress and others that I've seen like it. This is a really cool one. This is taken from a turret on a warship oh wow and in the back it's from a background but in the foreground is a couple of u.s naval men boxing in a boxing arena oh wow i could see yes so there are all these so all these sailors are around it yeah can you see that i know there's a glare on it it looks like ants yes on a, they're on the deck of You've the ship got, and they built a stage and there are a, 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 a thing and they're fighting on it it looks like hundreds of men and two boxers in a stance, like they're in the middle of a match. And it's just, you know, you're getting the sense that you're just a bystander. You know, you're another sailor on the ship watching watching a couple men go at it. Um, and then the last one in, in the postcards is just this odd one of a bunch of men standing out in front of a house, hoisting a couple of other men up on top of their shoulders, <laughs> kind of an ac acrobatic way. This is unusual simply because the majority of old photographs you see from this era you know, it's kind of stereotypical. They're just angry or they have really rough phases. And you're like, well, it was a rough, it was a rough life <laughs> at that time. Like, no, you knew re the reason they why they did like that is because the camera, uh, the time it took to expose a picture that the, the photographer would say to people, do not move. And it is much easier oh, sure. to hold your face still than to smile. That's why a lot of those For old sure. photos were For like sure. that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you move, it's going to be blurry. That's absolutely right. So I thought those were cool. Kind of moving on to some others. I'll just blow through these really fast. This is a certificate uh, for shares of stock from about like 1909. Here are some old bank notes from First National Bank and some other banks. Here's another Here's another note that has what they call a revenue stamp on it, which is showing that taxes were paid for the purchase of, of a good. The last two things I'll show are this right here, which is a die cut, which is these were made like lithic, like color lith lithographic pictures that were made to put in scrapbooks, like for collecting. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a really old one from the early 1900s of Santa Claus. And he's got a bunch of toys there, a toy bag, and he's standing there, you know, filling up stockings and doing the stuff that he needs to do for the, for the kids. But this kind of thing, this is the inside cover of a scrapbook that has disintegrated. And so that, along with the next thing, you kind of look at it and you say, is there any value here? What can I do with this? Some people who would find this type of a thing would just pitch it because they wouldn't think that there's any value. But what I do is I take old books like the one that these were taken out of, and these are etchings and lithographs of 
animals, cats, this thing was completely falling apart whenever I got it. And many pages were ripped out. Probably 70% of the book had to be trashed. But these have really interesting like artistic appeal. These are things that can be put into frames and sold as artwork that people could put on the walls. And so I've taken something that was, you know, to some, to some people worthless. And I'm going to use, you know, a creative tactic to essentially make these still have value and present them in, in some ways. I do this with old trade cards that are kind of like old sports cards, but they're smaller and they could be of anything, animals, sports, planes, trains. You put two or three in a tiny little frame. I go and find frames for 35, 50 cents all the time at, at thrift stores. I get some of these tobacco cards that cost me basically nothing. Put two or three in a deal. Now you've got something you can sell for 20 or $25 oh, wow. on eBay to somebody who likes the look of it. Wow. And they are really cool looking. We'll, we'll, we'll put the individual pictures up so you can take a look at those pictures you know, as we go along. I mean, we'll figure out ways for you guys to see it. So these things, I think the point is that these things have value. They're old. It's not a banknote you can cash anymore, but there are collectors for that kind of thing. There are people who like old depictions of Santa Claus. There are people who appreciate and, and value the history as a part of these old photographs. So you're drawing in postcard collectors, you're drawing in people who like history, people who like black and white photography, people who collect stamps, people who collect postcards for certain cancellations over the stamps. Like postcards are great because there's like five or six different categories of collector who are all buying the same product for different reasons. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're going to take those items that you may have found in an estate sale. You're going to, in a sense, what you're doing is you're repackaging them and you're selling them to people because you did add value because you took a creative approach to it. And, you know, like, like anything, people don't have to buy them. You're not trying to cheat them out of anything, but, but they're really cool. Of course. So what an interesting way to kind of create a little bit of income or, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, if you're, if you've got a business like that to be able to kind of continue to move things forward, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I just think people need to keep that in mind. There's a lot of that stuff out there. A lot of stuff you might have, if you, if you have a family member pass or something and you, or you go to an estate and there's all these documents and you're like, well, you know, they're not here anymore. I don't have any use for them. It's just an old banknote or it's just an old postcard. There are people who like, that's their favorite thing. There are people who are looking for that thing and you have it. So you, they can, you can make money off of that sort of thing. If, if you're so inclined, I just like reusing these things, recycling these things, getting them into the hands of people who care about them. Ah, that's so cool. Well, that is a perfect way to end this show. Um, like I said, we'll be posting the images up. You can take a look at them. But uh, once again, Matt, thank you for teaching us a little bit. I feel like I want to go out and find some estate sales Absolutely. somewhere so I can cut in on your business, yes. uh, sell stuff. Um, again, if you have any <laughs> sure. questions, please email us. And remember to subscribe, post comments. Hey, Apple Podcasts are a great place to post yes, comments please. about the show. But we really appreciate everybody listening in, and we look forward to getting back with you next week. Thanks. Thanks.